Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Makinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we thank you that we can sit once again at your feet and study and uh, soak up your words of life. Uh, Yeshua, you are the Master and we are your disciples. And we are delighted to know that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And so for that reason, Father, um, we ask that you will give us uh, a continued reverence for um, the text and for the Holy Spirit. And just for the sense that these are uh, the words of life. These are the, the instructions that will cause us to be strengthened. These are the very uh, um, uh, elements of our walk that will... Uh, help us to um, be lights, uh, to be a witness, uh, hiding your words in our heart, uh, causing us to fall in love with you, causing us to turn away from sin. Uh, how precious are your very words. Thank you that you have preserved them for us and that you are um, continuing to make them alive unto us. They are not just letters on a page, uh, but uh, they are quick and powerful and sharper than any, any two-edged sword. And so thank you, Lord, that... Uh, 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 we have the privilege and the honor and the duty to study your words. Uh, continue to give us a sense of urgency about the matter. Um, we need to be about our Father's business. We need to continue to seek opportunities where we can share the good news with others around us. We don't need to be lazy and lackadaisical. We also need to be continue, uh, continually aware of the fact that this is not a battle so much of the flesh. As Paul mentioned in... Um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, but that this is a battle of the Spirit. We don't wrestle so much against flesh and blood. Um, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, but uh, we wrestle against uh, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And for this reason, Lord, we must put on the armor of God if we are to stand. And having done all to stand, let us stand firm, therefore, Paul admonishes us. And so let us pray the armor every day. Thank you, Lord, that you've uh, given me a, a voice, an audience. Uh, I pray that you'll be with each and every student who has joined me tonight in the live class, as well as those who cannot join. Uh, be with them where they're at. Uh, sustain them, raise them up, strengthen them, protect them, and give them an opportunity to witness uh, to those around them. Um, uh, continue to uh, give us an opportunity to, to study. 
uh, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua, Omen. Okay, let's date stamp our recording tonight is uh, April the 8th, 2016, I'm sorry, 2017, and this is week 59 of our Exegeting Galatians study. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunaval in Thornton, Colorado. Uh, you can find information about my local congregation at our website, www.graftedin.com. Head on out there and just click around, browse around. Uh, we are a real-life congregation in Colorado, in Thornton. We meet every Saturday, and uh, you're certainly welcome to join us for services. Um, however, as I've mentioned in the past, you won't find me there if you're listening to this commentary. This is because I reside in South Korea, and I'm happy to do so. I know I'm right where God wants me to be. So I'm happy to bring you these commentaries live each week from the other side of the world. Um... If you are interested in following along with the study, just before we get started, I'll give you just some brief logistics. Head on over to my website at www.tetzetorah.com. T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And right on the homepage, you can click on the Galatians commentary link. Scroll down through the pages, and you'll find all the information you need to follow the study, either in PDF form or you can follow along on the web. And the audio uh, portions that I record each week, that I record live, uh, after a few days of editing, then I upload them to the iTunes podcast store, uh, where they're available for free download, or you can just uh, find them on, parked on my website. They are also available at the Grafted Insight, my, my uh, home congregation site there as well. So uh, I invite you to follow along. If you can't join me each week via Skype from... 7 uh, 45 I'm, I'm sorry from 7 p.m. to 7:45 p.m. Central Time just adjust for whatever time zone you live in if you can't join us live each week well then um, you're certainly welcome to join us uh, after the fact with the recordings okay that being said let's turn to some liturgy for those of you who are with me in the live class I should have screen sharing going on you should be able to see what I'm seeing I've got the generic blessing for the Torah, the Birkat HaTorah, pulled up. And we'll just read the English and the Hebrew, okay? The English reads, Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves with the words of Torah. Please, Lord, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouths and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, may we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to the people Israel. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations and gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord make his presence enlighten you. And may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you and grant you peace. Let's go back and read the Hebrew. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotai v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah v'harev na Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah tacha b'finu ufi amcha beit Yisrael v'nihye anachnu v'tzedzeinu v'tzedzei Amcha Beit Yisrael, Kulano Yodeshmecha, Vlomde Toateka Lishma, Baruchata Adonai, Hamlamed Torah Lamo Yisrael. 
Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher b'achar banu mekol ha'amin v'natan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha'torah. Iverechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panayv elecha v'chunecha. Yisa Adonai panayv elecha v'yasim lecha. Shalom. Okay, let's read the one verse out of the uh, Torah that we're going to be uh, finishing on tonight, which is uh, a verse that Paul pulls into his Galatians letter. It is the Deuteronomy 27.26 verse, which reads out of the ESV, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say Amen. And when we go back and pull up the Hebrew of that, for those of you who are in the live class, if you look at your screen, I just pulled up a text analysis version of this verse from the BibleHub.com website that I'm using, which means I've got kind of a, a chart for you. Uh, from left to right, there's a Strong's number, then there's the transliterated Hebrew, uh, and then we've got the Hebrew script, followed uh, by the English translation, and then after that, at the far right, column is the morphology, meaning the, the parts of speech, the, ver the nouns, the verbs, the adjectives, things like that. Alright, so the Hebrew reads, Arur asher lo yikim. I think that's yikim. It's hard to see. Give me a moment. I'm going to take, take out the uh, uh, I'm going to take out the uh, um, I'm going to take out uh, uh, what do we call those? The uh, I think they're the um, the troph marks for a second, because I can't read one Hebrew word. Oh, good grief. Uh, Yakim, that's the word I'm looking for. I keep saying Yakim, but it's wrong. Okay, um, Yakim, so let's start over. And it's the word that I'm highlighting in tonight. Let's start over. The Hebrew says, Arur ashir lo Yakim et divrei Torah hazot. Alright, and we're going to talk about this verse tonight. But first let's read its counterpart, uh, the, which would be the uh, Galatians 3.10 version. We're only going to read one verse for the Apostolic Scriptures reference to the New Testament. Uh, again, out of the ESV, it reads, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written... And of course, when Paul says, for it is written, this means he's going to be quoting Torah. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. Okay. Or it means he's going to be quoting scripture, not necessarily Torah. Could be Tanakh, could be the, the writings, could be the prophets. Okay, let's read the uh, Greek of that same uh, passage. Again, we'll do the same thing. We'll pull up the text analysis version, which gives us all these columns where we can just see everything. And I'll just read the Greek running right down the middle. The Greek reads, Hosoi gar ex ergo namu, eisen hupo, kataran eisen gegraptai, gar hati epikataratas, pas has uk emene, pasen tois gegramenois, ento biblio tu namu tu poiesai auta. And we'll stop there with the uh, reading. Okay, let's go over now to the study. Uh, we left off last week near about the middle of page 113. We're working our way down through just Galatians 3.10, and we're, we've just been parked on this, this verse that Paul uses to draw a, um, a contrast between 
those who are of faith and of and those who are of the works of the law. And we can see this if we pull up Galatians 3, and let me just pull the whole chapter for you real quick. If you look at Galatians 3 and look at, say, verse 9, Paul has just finished um, talking about Father Abraham and how that God recognized Abraham's faith in this critical moment of um, dialogue and meeting with God in Genesis chapter 15, right around verse 6. Moses sees something special and highlights it and reserves that moment to describe uh, the faith of Abraham in a way that we're familiar with as Christians. And Paul picks up on this uh, highlight and he decides to pull this passage, Genesis 15, 6, into his commentary, into his letter in Galatians. And so in Galatians 3, 9, Paul says, So then, it's kind of a a semi-conclusion to his thought, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we see then that there's this this group affiliation that, that Paul is recognizing. We have the man of faith called Abraham, <clears throat> and then we have those who are of faith, meaning the Gentiles and Jews who have uh, come to profess faith in Yeshua are those who fit the idea of those who are of faith. And then by contrast, in verse 10, uh, Paul starts talking about those who are of of the works of the law. See the contrast there from verse 9 to 10? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So uh, we've got these two kinds of people groups going on, this inclusion, this this, um, comparison. Those who are of faith are blessed, and those who are of the works of the law are cursed. And then Paul proves his um, who proves himself, he he vindicates himself, he he, uh, he, uh, what do we say, he um, uh, uh, he pulls a quote from the the, the, the uh, New Testament to to support his theology. I'm sorry. He pulls a quote from the from the Torah to support his theology uh, by saying, "For it is written." So this is kind of a bold statement, right? Paul's really throwing down the gauntlet. Here we have the influencers in Paul's day. The influencers are the people that most Christians call the Judaizers, but most of you know that I, I, I don't like that term Judaizer because of its kind of, pejorative, in my opinion, pejorative overtones. So uh, we, I decided to call them the influencers. Uh, we've got the, the, the people in, in Paul's day that are, that are differing with his theology, and they think that if they keep the Torah, including circumcision, or the flesh for the males, that they will be blessed. And Paul then turns that line of thought, that thinking, on its head by saying, no, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And then he goes and quotes the Torah, says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now, let's turn to my commentary and see if we can unpack this. Because at first blush, it seems to be a, a direct contradiction of Torah. In fact, anyone reading through the Torah from a general uh, perspective. I mean, you don't even have to be a scholar to read through the Torah to find out, to, to discover that God is promising blessing if you do the Torah. Or read through Psalm 119 or Psalm 19. I mean, the, the, a good portion of the Bible, the Old Testament, in fact, the New Testament as well, a good portion of the Bible as a whole is given over to uh, conveying this important idea that God rewards obedience with blessing. And so it is not a secret that's, that, that if you keep Torah, you'll be blessed. You understand what I'm saying? So 
to for Paul to say all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse cannot mean at face value that Paul is, is um, that Paul is somehow opposed to obedience to the law because obedience attracts the blessing of God and in fact it's disobedience that attracts the curse and the non-blessing it was because of breaking covenant with God and not being obedient that Israel found herself in hot water over and over again in times past and indeed uh, eventual uh, breaking of covenant breaking of commandment and uh, penchant lust for idolatry led God to finally uh, expel Israel out of the land and kick her out and to cause her to be in time out, cause her to be um, uh, thrown into exile. In other words, to be uh, picked up by uh, uh, alien countries around her, foreign people groups, Babylon, Assyria, etc., etc. And she was to basically be punished. And then the land was left to be enjoy its sabbaticals, its sabbats its rests because the people of Israel failed to give it rest. They worked it like a worked it like a dog and didn't give it rest. So God says, fine, you're not going to keep my laws and, and keep my ways and give the land its sabbatical rest, its jubilees. Then I'm going to kick you out and let, and the land will get its rest. So we know that disobedience leads to the curse. Then how can Paul say that those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse? All right, let's read my commentary. All right, let's start in... Um, uh, uh, this paragraph right here, this is kind of give us a running start. Uh, just back up one paragraph. And we've only got one, two, three paragraphs left. So with half an hour to g in our commentary, or half an hour in our time to study, we'll easily be able to finish this tonight. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I think I'll, what I'll do is I'll kind of read down through it, explain what I mean, and then hopefully that'll leave a lot of room for me to kind of expound afterwards. Okay. Sewing last week's commentary with this week's together. Here's what I have to say in my commentary. I think that another key to correctly understanding this verse, the one that Paul uses from Deuteronomy, the way he pulls it into his um, Galatians letter, I think another key to correctly understanding this verse is to make the connection with historical context and remind ourselves that any ideology, that an ideology that strips God, his Torah, and his promises... Um, I'm sorry, let me... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, God, his, his, his uh, instructions, his Torah, his promises, indeed the very gospel itself. Any ideology that strips God, strips it from the inclusion of the Gentiles in scope is an ideology worthy of God's curse. Put another way, the ostensible covenant member practicing the works of the law, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include this phrase the Torah for Jews only. That's that's part of the idea of works of the law in Paul's day. So anyone who is practicing this idea of the Torah for Jews only is not, by God's very standard of righteousness, doing all that the law asks of covenant members. Why? Because to live one's life according to the works of the law, the, the law for Jews only, is to discount those Gentiles who live by faith as genuine covenant members in Israel. Um, remember, ancient Israel, uh, in, before the times of Paul, ancient Israel in Moshe's day, uh, non-Jews, if I can import a word back into the text that didn't exist at the time, non-Jews were uh, often found uh, to be joining themselves with uh, native-born sons of Jacob, i.e. the Ezrach, the, the Hebrew word. They were found to be joining themselves to Israel and thus becoming uh, covenant partners with Israel's God. In this sense, they took up covenant membership within Israel 
and enjoying themselves or 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 committed themselves to uh, keeping the very same laws that that God had uh, given and instructed Moshe to give to the people of Israel. Put plainly, the ger, the the social stranger, the person who was from foreign extraction, meaning non-native born, the person who um, arrived in Israel from a from an outside country who came into Israel, migrated to Israel, or immigrated to Israel, whatever language you want to use. This person, if he um, made a, a covenant commitment to Israel's God, then he was simultaneously making a covenant commitment and agreement to Israel's laws, Israel's Torah. Therefore, the very same Torah that was given to Israel was applicable to him because he became a citizen of Israel. He joined the commonwealth of Israel to use Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2. And so, a, 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 an ideology that, that supposes that the law always has been and always will be for Jews only, ethnic, ethnic Jews or native-born sons of Jacob only, and, and, a, and a theology that, that teaches that the Torah was not given to non-Jews or non-native-born sons of Israel. This type of theology is actually um, at odds with, with, the, with the Torah itself. And it's at odds with the historical narratives that we read about of, of the uh, of foreigners joining themselves to Israel. So, we can be sure, I say in my commentary, that Paul rejects this line of reasoning, the line of reasoning that says that the Torah is for Jews only, because he states quite emphatically, I mean, he does so in other places of his letters, but he does it, he comes right out boldly in Romans 3.29 and 30, and he says, quote, Or is God the God of Jews only? Meaning, according to the, the popular uh, theology of Paul's day, not, not that Paul held this theology, but the influencers did, God really was the God of the Jews only. And the fact that God was the God of the Jews only meant that, that the Torah was the Torah of Jews only, that the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit of Jews only, that covenant membership was the covenant membership for Jews only, and this was really a sectarian type of, of, of members-only club, and that you had to really uh, be in possession of, of Jewish ethnicity in order to enjoy the stipulations, the protection, the benefit of keeping the covenant and the promises that were contained therein, namely uh, a declaration of righteousness by the righteous king himself, and a uh, an expectation that when you died, you would your lot would be taken up with the other righteous Israelites in the Olam Haba, the age to come. So basically, the whole thing from start to finish. Uh, at least in Paul's day, the theology seems to be this way. If we if we read through the rabbinic writings, we can get this kind of perspective. It seems to be this idea that 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 everything was really uh, uh, contingent upon one's ethnicity or belonging to the people group known as Israel, and the uh, the, the the line of demarcation was drawn in the sand uh, uh, um, at one's ethnicity. So when Paul says, "Is God the God of the Jews only?" He's challenging this theology head on. God is not the God of Jews only. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? He asks two questions in Romans, and he answers his question right away. Yes, of Gentiles also. God is the God of Gentiles also. He is not the God of Jews only. Meaning, God is the God who not only justifies the Jews by faith, but he also justifies the Gentiles by faith. And that's what he says in the rest of his verse. He says, yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, right? Remember, this is kind of 
what the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, and 6 uh, talks about. Heroes where the Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning what? One God, <clears throat> one God for all of us. But who's the us in this passage? The us, according to Paul's understanding of Shema, must be Jews and Gentiles. That is the us. The us is Jews and Gentiles, both collectively clearing that our God is one God for all of us. He is the God of us as a group. So yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify, and this word justify must evoke uh, salvific uh, concepts, justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Who are the circumcised? Well, those are the Jews that Paul just mentioned in the first clause. Who are the uncircumcised? Well, those are the Gentiles that Paul mentions in the second clause. So, the whole point of Paul's theology, which is runs counter to what the, 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 the teachers of his day were teaching, is that God's covenant faithfulness extends to anyone with genuine faith. This would include Gentiles, who are ethnic Gentiles, meaning this whole idea of conversion to Judaism in order to be counted as a genuine covenant member is an unnecessary step. And a, and a man-made one at that. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's corrupt because it, uh, it violates the principle of the Torah that teaches that God is the one God of Jews and Gentiles. So to teach that the Torah is for Jews only is a violation of the Torah itself. And therefore, um, the person who violates Torah is going to live under a curse, especially if he keeps the Torah for Jews only. Do you, see, do you understand my theology? Okay. All right, so that's part of why Paul can tell them that anyone who's of the works of law, meaning anyone who's of a Torah for Jews only, lives under a curse, because the Torah itself uh, must be upheld and must be taught and and um, supportive of the idea that the, that Gentiles by faith can be counted as righteous by God, the righteous judge himself. The reference, however, to Deuteronomy that Paul uh, uses, and I say this in my commentary, is neither a direct quote from the Masoretic Hebrew text, nor is it a direct quote from the Hebrew from the Greek Septuagint, the LXX. So I think he's probably paraphrasing the general meaning of the verse for his readers. Okay, let's go back and look at the passage for a split second, and I'll show you something. If we look at my... Um, I didn't do a very good job of this last week, so I apologize. I'm going to try and clean that up this week. In Deuteronomy 27.26, in the English version that we're familiar with, um, most of us read uh, where Paul said... I'm sorry, where Moshe says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out or by doing them, something like that. Many versions don't have any reference to all the words of this law. So when we look, for instance, at, if you're looking at my screen, for those of you who are in my, with me live in Skype, if you look at my screen, you'll see that I've got uh, several different versions, probably 20 or 30 different versions pulled up in front of me. And um, um, many versions, such as the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the NASB, uh, in front of the words of this law, there's nothing, no reference to all or anything like that. But when we get down to the KJV, suddenly it says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. And this word all there in the English, if you've got a King James Version that has italics, you'll see that it's in italics because we know that 
italics means that it's not there in the Hebrew. And indeed, um, if we go over to the Hebrew, we'll see that here in a moment. So Holman's Christian Standard uh, does not say all the words or all this law. Uh, ISV doesn't say it, doesn't use all the words. Um, but the, uh, the New Heart English Bible says confirm all the words. God's Word translation says every word. Um, the Jubilee Bible 2000 says confirm all the words. Uh, King James 2000 also says all the words. The American KJV has all the words. Um, and let's see, Webster's Bible translation has all the words. And that's going to do it for the ones that just say basically all the words. So uh, on the one sense, there are commentators who kind of pick up on this idea of all the words. And they go over to the Hebrew, which I'm going to do here for you as well. They go over to the Hebrew, and we look at this. If you, if you just follow along this column, the I'm sorry, the, the column where the English is, if you can't read the Hebrew, uh, where it says uh, confirms, which is uh, yakim, and then it says et, which is uh, what we call the, uh, the the sign of the definite accusative, meaning the sign of the of the, the of the um, definite article. In Hebrew, et doesn't translate into English. And then we've got divre, which I, I, I incorrectly said last week is a um, is a plural form of the word davar. It isn't. I apologize. I, I, I misread that. Uh, uh, dvarim would be the plural of davar. Divre is actually what we call the genitive, meaning it's um, uh, the um, the possessive, the possessive. So basically, divre divre Torah hazot, all the words. This is what we would call possessive. Um, apostrophe S is how it would show up in, in most English translations. Um, the, the Torah's words, if we were to turn it back into a possessive and add the apostrophe S to the word law here, the law's words, that's how we form a possessive in English. We put apostrophe S. So this is what divre means, the, the re at the very end. Okay, so we've got divre Torah hazot. Notice... Between the words confirms and the word Torah, there's not any mention of the word all, as in, say, down here where it says kol, all of the people. We don't have another kol, which should be up here, all the words, confirm all. In other words, if it doesn't say, ye came kol et divrei Torah hazot la'asot, or something like that. Um, confirm all. We don't have that. However, according to some uh, sources, for instance, I think uh, Morris, Bible commentator, he says that some Masoretic translations omit the word all and that there are, ver there are actually variant texts that actually have the word all up here twice, meaning it shows up somewhere between here and here. Uh, but the, uh, the most translations that we end up with, the Hebrew texts, for instance... Um, uh, just the the West, Westminster Leningrad Codex, Codex texts, neither one of them have any, uh, it doesn't have any um, uh, mention of the word coal. It doesn't have an extra coal here, like that. So if that's the case, then uh, he says that perhaps maybe the Jewish people removed the word all because it was too stinging for them to read that cursed is he who, who does not confirm to all the words of this law and it doesn't say that in the Hebrew text. Um, even though the, the, the translators put it in there in English, all the words, uh, it doesn't say it in the Hebrew, right? Yakim et kol divrei Torah. It doesn't say that. 
So, he thinks maybe the Jewish people have removed it. We know that the Masoretes, Masoretes have uh, played with the text in the past. Perhaps he's got a case. Let's go and read my commentary and see what I have to say. The Greek of abide, right? We read the word, cursed everyone who does not abide by all things. When we read uh, in the Galatians version, cursed is everyone who does not abide using the ESV. I say that the word abide is emino. And if we go over to the Greek of this, right? Remember, Paul's quoting the Hebrew, and yet it's not an exact quote. So if you look at the, uh, uh, the LXX, uh, at least the parts that match what Paul quotes, then when we get down to, let's see, give me a moment, sorry, I accidentally clicked on the wrong verse. We want verse 10, and we want the Greek. Okay, if you look at this text analysis, um, where the, the part where Paul quotes uh, Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. In this line, we have the word pasin, which translates into English as all things. And if we look up the word pasin out of the Strong's, we'll find that this word does actually mean all. All, the whole, every kind of. So Paul's quote from his, his paraphrase uh, actually it does include the word all. And um, since there's, uh, let me see, I didn't look up the, I think, if I'm correct, I apologize, I think the LXX on on uh, Deuteronomy 26, let me just pull it real quick, I apologize for those in the class, I didn't pull this up before. Uh, let's see, let me pull the uh, Septuagint in the Greek, let me pull the English first, because it numbers differ. English translation of the Septuagint is available online, by the way. Anyone can find it, as well as the Greek. But let's pull the English first. And we said 2726. Cursed is he whoever... Let's read just... Uh, it's verse 25 in the Septuagint. 2725 said, Cursed is he whoever shall have taken a bribe to... Send, I'm sorry, it is verse 26. Here we go. Cursed is every man that continues not in all the words of this law. This is the English translation. So if we go over to the Greek version of the same uh, passage. Actually, let me do this. This might be an easier way to find it. Apologize. Um, give me a moment here. Blue Letter Bible is a great resource because it shows us the, uh, the, the Septuagint. If I just click on the, uh, the tools. So we've got Deuteronomy 27.26 here. If I click on that, uh, we see that... Um, we see here in this Hebrew analysis, there's uh, no mention of the word kol which is this Hebrew word right here. There's no second word where it says, Yakim et divre. We don't have an extra word of kol. But if we look down here at the Greek, this is the Septuagint right here below. Epikataratas pas athamitas has uk emene en pasen. See this word right here that I've highlighted for those of you in my live study? Emene, uh, confirm, en, 
within pasen all tois logois tu namu the the words logois tu the namu the law. So this word pasen is we saw this already over here is the same word right there. We got pasen there in Paul's, and we've got pasen right there in the Septuagint. What does this mean? It means that even though the Masoretic text took out, possibly took out the word kol, which is all, then in the Greek version, the Septuagint, we have it uh, retained. We have the word pasen there, which means that the Greek Septuagint has the word all. Meaning, when Paul quotes, uh, when he says, Cursed is anyone who does not confirm uh, all the words, when he says in the Greek, Cursed is anyone who does not continue in all things of the law, then he's probably influenced by the Septuagint or a version of the Masoretic text that perhaps did have the word all. Now, where am I going with this rabbit trail? For those of you who are thinking, thinking gosh, Ariel, you're spending a lot of time on this word all. It's because if this word all confirmed to all the words that Christian theology and later commentaries, particularly, say, um, Matthew Henry's commentary, Gill's commentary, uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown's commentary, um, uh, I think Calvin's commentary, many of these commentaries make this point that Paul, that, that there's a theology in the Torah that teaches that if you don't do every single commandment, perfectly and at all times, meaning there's two standards, a standard that teaches that you have to do all of it, and that the individual covenant member has to do all of it, and that the individual covenant member has to do it perfectly. And they're kind of hinging on this idea of all means all means all means all, which is why I brought it up so predominantly in my commentary tonight. They're kind of hinging on this idea that um, Paul realizing that no one can do all, therefore the person is cursed if he just violates one. And they feel uh, vindicated in their assumption of this uh, 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 interpretation based on the passage that we read on James, where James says that he who breaks one is he who breaks one commandment is basically guilty of breaking them all. And so we we end up with this theology in Christian circles that teaches that the the Deuteronomy passage is a reference to that cursed is anyone who does not keep every single commandment and keep them all perfectly at all times. And therefore, essentially, it's an impossible standard that God is presenting to people. And because it's an impossible standard, it forces the covenant member wannabe into a corner where he has no choice but to accept Yeshua if he wishes to be counted as righteous instead of trying to rely on Torah observance to be counted as righteous. So this is a very, very popular position in Christian circles. But I strongly disagree with that position. And here's why. All right. The Greek of abide is emino, which does not need to mean or even imply perfect obedience to the Torah like the popular opinion suggests. Indeed, the original verse from the Torah reads, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. I'm reading from my commentary. To insert all, right? <coughs> Excuse me. To insert uh, the word all before the phrase the words from the Deuteronomy passage is a translator's prerogative. And we've read that out of all those different passages, the different translations from the uh, Deuteronomy passage uh, in the English. But I don't think it's absolutely needed. We see that some translations don't do it. The Hebrew for confirm, which we read about in Deuteronomy, is kum. Uh, this is the word yakim that I keep. It's, it's parsed into yakim. 
the verb gets conjugated as, as yakim, uh, which is a, um, a hefil he uh, type of uh, uh, verb in the Hebrew. But the root word is, is kum, and it literally means to stand up or rise up. So we could kind of take this idea when we combine the Masoretic text version of this clause, quote, confirm the words of this law, end quote, in this verse with the second clause, quote, by doing them, end quote, which does use a different Hebrew word for the word do, which is asah, then we get the sense of, quote, and this is my own paraphrase, taking a stand for the Torah by obedience to its precepts, statutes, and commandments, end quote. This is my own paraphrase of this phrase, is confirm the words of this law by doing them. In other words, what we do know as believers uh, is that per its God-given design, right? Per its God-given design, the Torah leads to Christ. We know this really from Christian hindsight, but we also know it that as we read through the text carefully, even looking for the goal of the Torah in the text, we know that the Torah is pointing towards the one who would come, the one who would brute, crush the head of the serpent, the one who was the uh, person spoken about in, as early as Genesis 3.15, the person who is the uh, one who was to come after Moshe, the prophet like Moshe of Deuteronomy 18, the one that the people were actually looking for when Yeshua hit the scene, when they said, are you the prophet, or should we look for another? Um, the Messiah that the, the, the Torah is pointing towards, that the prophets caught, uh, picked up on as they uh, began to read the Torah and study it and began to uh, start d uh, uh, developing the idea of the coming anointed one. Uh, so um, we don't have to guess that, the, that all of the Torah points towards the Messiah. We don't have to, to conjecture that the zenith of Torah obedience is actually the Messiah himself. So because we know that the Torah is pointing towards Yeshua, the, and um, we can then with, with confidence read the, the, the pages of the Torah and read and study, for instance, say the sacrificial system and glean the idea of, of, um, of um, substitutionary atonement and things like that. We can, we can know with the certainty that, that the Messiah is being pictured there. Uh, not to mention the fact that Messiah himself in, say, John chapter 5 uh, directly tells the Jews who were challenging him that the Torah, that Moshe bears witness of him that Moshe is the one that will testify against them in the end of days, on the day of judgment, because they failed to believe Moses. Therefore, how can they believe him? This is uh, John chapter 5, starting around, say, verse 17, through, I think, maybe the end of the, of the chapter there. Go back and read that sometime. Just read all of John chapter 5, and you'll catch it there. So, keeping it, uh, reading through my commentary, um, I say that we know as believers that per its God-given design, the Torah leads to Christ. And, and Paul says this explicitly in Romans 9.31, where Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. And in Romans 10.4, Christ is the goal of the law. The, the righteousness that Paul speaks about in Romans 9.31 is behavioral, but it is, <clears throat> within the context of where Paul uses it in 9.31, it's uh, forensic, meaning it's, it's justification righteousness. So Christ is the goal of the law. He's the telos of the law. He's the fullness of the law. He's the culmination of the law. He's the, 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 the end of the law in the sense that he's not the termination, but he's the zenith of the law. He's the destination that the law must arrive at. 
Also see Galatians 3.24, where we're going to see that Paul says that the law is the tutor safeguarding our journey to Christ, right? The law is like this super information highway that as we travel along it, we will arrive at the destination, namely the um, the teacher of righteousness that we're going to read about when we get to Galatians 3, uh, later on, later on down in this chapter. So, what I'm trying to say is basically the deeper meaning of this quote from Deuteronomy, I think, is masterfully explained by Shaul. Here's, I think, part of the deeper meaning. The genuine and lasting covenant member initiate, which would be basically the, from the from the influencer's perspective, this would be the Gentiles who are flocking into the synagogues, flooding into Israel, and seeking membership within Israel. These would be the covenant member initiates. As well as the existing covenant members, meaning from the influencer's perspective, this would be the Jewish, the, the, the native-born sons of Jacob, the the ethnic Jews who believe that they already possessed a genuine uh, covenant membership. From Paul's perspective, all must follow after all that God has spoken to do, meaning all of Israel has a covenant responsibility to all of the words of Torah, uh, meaning they cannot pick and choose. They um, confess allegiance to Hashem and to His laws. Uh, it is not a, a, a covenant uh, agreement where Israel can can agree on parts of the law, but disagree on other parts. And the fact that Paul recognizes that Israel is a bouquet of Jews and Gentiles is extremely important for his point uh, later on that the Gentiles can be found righteous without becoming ethnic Jews. So as I say in my commentary, to the extent that those in national Israel go on to matriculate to faith in Yeshua, their loyalty to God must include laws upheld by the Messiah, their loyalty to God, and their loyalty to Torah, from Paul's vantage point, must eventually find its its fullness or culmination or goal or zenith or telos or end in the Messiah himself and indeed in the law that's upheld by the Messiah of Israel. Their righteousness and genuine covenant membership is demonstrated by genuine faith which is rooted in listening to all the words of the prophet that God raised up among them uh, go back and redo it around 18.15. So in my last paragraph, as I'm trying to uh, emphasize this point that, that Paul pulls from Deuteronomy uh, 27.26, picking and choosing which commandments are for Jews and which ones are for Gentiles, which ones are relevant and which ones aren't, is not left to the covenant member because the Deuteronomy verse commands that we confirm, right, take a stand, we yakim, we confirm the words of this law by actually doing them, by asa. Meaning, it's all of the Torah that is a unit. It's a, it's, it's a package deal. Even though we know practically that every single individual in Israelite is not expected to practically do every part of the Torah. For instance, men cannot and never will be expected to practically walk into the commandments that are reserved for women. That makes sense. Also, parts of the Torah are for kings, parts are for prophets, I'm sorry, parts are for priests, parts are for, for commoners, and the parts that are for priests cannot be performed by parts by people who are not priests. So, for God to hold up a standard that supposedly uh, applies to every single Israelite, and then to come along and supposedly curse every single Israelite for not practically keeping every single commandment, every single one of them, 
is to misunderstand the Torah itself. And unfortunately, when we read commentaries from, and I, I'm, I'm not picking on Christian commentaries, but but I don't find this viewpoint in, in predominantly Jewish commentaries because of perhaps their uh, cultural understanding of, of, of the impossible uh, probability of God teaching a, a perfect standard. Even even Jewish commentaries don't teach that. It's the unfortunate um, <clears throat> predominance within <clears throat> excuse me within Christian commentaries that I find out of the Bible bookstores that leads me to have to argue against this position over and over again. God did not, does not, and never will expect perfect obedience to the Torah, and and God also doesn't expect every single. Israelite to be able to keep every single commandment. And the reason is not because it's an impossible standard, but because it's not practically possible. It was not given to every single person to be kept. And God didn't expect obedience uh, on a perfect level. God anticipated our failures, and therefore God made a way for us to um, re- uh, to restore uh, covenant relationship one when we whenever we do violate the Torah, whenever we find ourselves within sin, whenever we find ourselves guilty of violation, then there's a way to remediate that. So <clears throat> when Paul says, uh, quoting from Deuteronomy, we cannot pick and choose, um, Paul knows that all of the Torah includes faith in Messiah. He knows that Messiah is the zenith of the Torah. That's why he wrote that Paul the Christ is the goal and the other passages that I quoted out of that we're going to read about later on in Galatians. At the very least, I go on to say in my commentary, at the very least, God is expecting unquestioning obedience. That is what God is expecting. So the unit known as Torah, which sometimes comes across in the Hebrew as all the words of this law, meaning we just have Torah, sometimes it's just this commandment, the single word mitzvah, things like that. Um, God expects unquestioning obedience. Indeed, only God is allowed to determine which commandments might have ever fallen into disuse for any given length of time, viz. We got the sacrificial and ritual laws, etc., that fell into disuse with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Therefore, from a pragmatic perspective, from a practical perspective today in today's 21st century Judaism, no one can keep the laws pertaining to the sacrifices because there is no temple, there are no functioning priests, there are no uh, inspe- animals that have been inspected, etc., etc. Therefore, we cannot keep those commandments, and yet God is not judging us as a covenant people for not keeping those commandments. He's not saying that this is a standard that you must keep whether there's a temple or not. You understand my point? Okay. So, um, uh, God is the only one who can determine uh, which commandments might be, say, put on back burner status until a later time. Uh, in other words, God pulls them out of circulation, so to say. Uh, we can't keep them because God has removed the temple. If God wants us to keep the animal sacrifices, then God needs to bring the temple back. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, even more to the point of Shaul's argument here, is the historic reality that each and every covenant member bound himself to pursue the righteous one promised by the Torah is already mentioned above. Let's look at footnote number 108 real quick. Um, look at Deuteronomy uh, 18, 15 through 19 that I've already referenced. It was understood in Yeshua's day to be referring to, quote, the prophet, end quote, namely prophet Messiah, as evidenced by the people's reaction in John seven forty through 42. You remember they said, are, is this the prophet that we've been expecting? What prophet are they talking about? 
they mean the prophet that Moshe mentioned in Deuteronomy 18. The first century Judaisms also inferred and anticipated the coming of a righteous one from numerous passages lifted from the major and the minor prophets. So we know that there was this expectation, there's a prophet that was to come. So, uh, the righteous one is the one that uh, every covenant member bound himself to pursue. The very thing that a covenant member was expected to do, and, and you have to remember, this, this covenant membership, where we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant, which also uh, included the Abrahamic Covenant that, that it was already built upon, right? Remember, historically, Abrahamic Covenant came first, the agreement that God, the promises that God made with Abraham, the stipulations. Uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant came, according to Paul, came 430 years after. So, uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant is stacked upon the foundation of the Abrahamic Covenant. So, the very thing that a covenant member, someone who claimed to have membership in the Abrahamic Covenant, and therefore membership within the, the Mosaic Covenant, the very thing that this type of covenant member was expected to do was to actually exercise faith in God and in his Messiah to come, who by Shaul's writing had already arrived, Correct. Remember, it was Moshe first who said to Israel, circumcise your hearts. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 30. Circumcise your hearts, Israel. What does circumcised heart mean? It means you must allow the Spirit of God to write the words of God upon the heart to have a circumcised heart. This is the kind of heart that we read about in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, and the type of heart we read about in Jeremiah 31-31. So, uh, it was a circumcised heart that was going to exercise faith in God. It was a circumcised heart that would, that would see the Messiah, the, the, the righteous one, the prophet who was to come, who would who'd be looking into the Torah and into the sacrificial system to find this Messiah. And who, by Shaul's writing, had already arrived. I'm almost done. The individual who failed to recognize both Jews and Gentiles as covenant members remember, this was the influencers, as well as, and more importantly, failed to matriculate to the Messianic conclusion, ultimately found himself a candidate for being cut off. The Hebrew word for cut off is karat. Uh, he found himself being cut off by God himself due to his lack of faith and obedience to all that the Torah enjoins upon covenant members. Look at footnote number 109. Uh, Romans eleven nineteen through 22 which we're going to read not today but at a later date since I'm running out of time here. So basically God himself would would prune the olive tree which is basically what the 11, Romans 11 uh, passage is talking about. God himself would prune the olive tree by breaking off branches that failed to uh, exercise faith in Messiah which is genuine and lasting faith. Um, God realizes that the, the Torah has given enough information for the covenant member, the Israelite uh, member, the, the member of uh, the, the, uh, the, the person who was in Israel, given him enough information to make uh, an informed decision that Jesus is Lord. And because m many in Paul's day had failed to reach this conclusion, Indeed, Jesus lamented over this when he when he when he cried, "Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem! I longed to embrace you like a, a mother hen would embrace her her chicks, but you wouldn't have me. You would not." Um, 
God himself will, will, will uh, uh, cut this individual off because of their lack of faith. He'll break them off, to use the, the Romans 11 passage analogy. So, when Paul states that the one who denies genuine faith lives under a curse, in uh, Galatians 3.10 here, Paul opts for the Greek word uh, katara, which conveys the notion of a spoken curse. When we go back and look at... Um, uh, the Greek here, uh, cursed is every, right here, epikataratos, the root word uh, for epikataratos, if I click on the Strong's link, is um, the word origin is katarin, um, Strong's Greek number here, epikataratos, the word origin. So uh, the root word is katarin. And um, Paul's using this word kataras. Uh, which is the, the idea of a written curse. It, uh, Katara conveys the notion of a spoken, I'm sorry, not a written, but a spoken curse. A spoken curse. If we look at footnote num number 10, we can see the, the Greek word, uh, the TSBD for Katara in there. And this idea that there's a spoken curse reminds me of the fact that Moshe wrote down on Mount Ebal of, Gen of Deuteronomy chapter 27 this idea that the priests were speaking this curse into writing. In other words, I think it's a clear reference to God's words as pronounced in our Torah passage of Deuteronomy, i.e. the book of the law, that Moses spoke into writing. And I think that's why Paul uses the Greek word katara when he says, uh, um, Cursed is everyone who does not conform. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. Epikatartas pashas uk emene pasen. Tois gramenois. All things that have been written. Epikatartas. All right. Uh, so I hope that was a more thorough treatment of the um, Deuteronomy passage as well as the Galatians 3.10 passage that it lifts, that it quotes from. We'll stop here in my commentary tonight and bring it to a close. Those of you who are with me in the live study, stay with me and we'll engage in some chat afterwards, some live chat that doesn't get recorded. This means for those of you who do not um, join me week by week live, then you're missing out. Uh, why don't you come on and join us every week from 7 p.m. to 8, uh, 7.45 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, use Skype and then uh, use my website to find the, uh, the, the, the Skype chat room. There's a link there for you. And uh, join us each week because after the study, uh, then we, we engage in some kind of after chat sessions and things like that. Just a reminder that next week is uh, the beginning of the Passover week. And so we will not be meeting next week uh, for our Galatians study. Instead, we'll pick up our study again on the 29th. Um, uh, once again, I'm sorry. Let me look at my calendar. I said 29th. That's not what I want to say. Uh, today is the 8th. We won't meet on the 15th. We will instead meet on the 22nd. That's what I mean. So we'll pick up the study again on the 22nd. Everyone take a break for the... Uh, for the, uh, the Passover week and the week of unleavened bread um, and enjoy your seders and things like that. And we'll pick up the study again a week afterwards, okay? Let's close in prayer. Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, Lord, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to share and to study and to learn, not just from your words, but to, to allow the Spirit to open the pages uh, and make them alive to me. For indeed, Lord, if I am not relying on the Spirit then uh, it's just head knowledge, and I don't just want that. I, not that head knowledge is bad, but I want life 
life-changing study. I want the kind that's going to sink down deep inside my soul and affect a, a, a real-life uh, 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 cleansing from the inside out. When I read through the pages of the Torah, I want to, I want to know that the Spirit is activating the words on my very heart and on my mind, and bringing them to life, helping me to change, helping me to confirm to the words of this book, helping me to uh, turn away from sin, helping helping me to fall in love with Yeshua, my first love, over and over again. Each time I open the pages of the of the Torah, Lord, I want to be able to see with eyes opened by the Ruach HaKodesh. So thank you, Lord, for this privilege, because it is you who has promised via the new covenant that you would write the words of your Torah on my heart. And this you have done, and this I believe by faith. Thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us, but that you are raising us up as a people and that you are giving us a voice in the earth. Indeed, Lord, you are causing us to be uh, lights and to be salt, to be the city set on a hill that, that you mentioned in, in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, and that we indeed are to take this responsibility uh, very seriously. We are your hands, we are your feet, we are your people, to quote a song from the uh, the old Christian group, Whiteheart. Thank you, Father, for all the students who have joined me tonight. I pray that you'll continue to raise them up and bless them and heal them and to give them strength as they walk this invisible walk of faith. Uh, be with us now as we go into this uh, blessed Passover season. Help us to seek the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us to to uh, join Him in our Passover seders. Help us to to look for the Messiah as we uh, uh, eat the unleavened bread uh, day after day during this Passover week. And help us to uh, be reminded that He is the first fruits, the one who's risen from the dead as we uh, celebrate this feast as well. Thank you, Lord, for all of these wonderful things that you give to us in the pages of your Torah. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>